You're listening to audio from Kingsway Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit kingswaychurch.org. Good morning, everybody. My name is Matt Nickerson. I'm a lead pastor here at Kingsway Christian Church. We're wrapping up a three-part series that we put together in light of the coronavirus and everybody being quarantined, just trying to answer some big questions that we're all dealing with in our own heads and our own hearts related to God and faith and figuring all this out. What is God doing in the world? What do we do as a result of it? So today, I wanna kick off with a question that's gonna take us where we wanna go today. Here's the question, ready? Do you believe that God is at work right now? Now, your answer to that question could come from where you are in relationship to your faith with God. At least for me, throughout my life, when I faced this question, it almost always had to do with where I was in my faith in that moment. I can honestly say today, at 43 years old, my faith is deeper today than it was when I began my faith as a child and then as a teenager when I surrendered my life to Christ. And the reason is, I've gone through some stuff in the last 43 years that's anchored my faith even deeper. I remember one particular time though, a friend called me and he said, do you have a moment? I just happened to be between meetings and I had a couple hours free. And so I met with my friend. My friend started to tell me about his child. And I won't go into the details to spare him the public sharing of the information, but his child had made some choices that were not good and was starting to feel the weight of the consequences of their decisions. As I talked with my friend, I began to ask a question similar to this. Do you believe that God is still good? Do you believe that God is still at work? And my friend's answer, I'm so thankful for his faith, his answer was, yes, absolutely, I do, but I don't know what he's doing and I don't know where it's going. I remember when I was done with my friend, I went back to my office before my next meeting and I just started to feel the weight of my friend's situation. I had loved my friend and poured into his family and his family had poured into my family and I spent a lot of time with his child, actually with his children and and just loving them and caring for them and I was feeling bad for the pain that my friend and his family was going through and it was eating at me and I felt just under attack at the moment and as I sat there, I just started to cry. I started to cry feeling this deep sense of compassion for my friend in his situation. And see, that's good and that's healthy. But here, I kept coming back to this question. Do I believe that God is at work? And my answer had to be the same as my friend. But the problem was we didn't have a conclusion. We didn't know where it was going. We didn't know how it would resolve. We didn't know if the situation would get better a week from now, a month from now, a year from now. And here we are probably 12 or 14 years down the road from that conversation. And I could tell you it's worked out, but we didn't know that back then. And see, here's the thing. Do you believe that God is at work right now even if you can't see it? Because that gets to the real heart of faith. And that gets to the real heart of the story that I wanna take you to today. We're gonna pick up in our Bibles in Mark chapter five. If you have a Bible at home, highly recommend that you open it up. You can open up um, a a digital Bible or a paper Bible. All the verses I'll be covering will be on the screen here for you today. But let's go ahead and jump in. Mark chapter five, verse 21, it says this. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him. My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him and a large crowd followed and pressed around him. 
Now, first thing you need to know is throughout the early parts of the Gospels, Jesus will often look at people and say, I've healed you, but don't tell anybody. Don't let the word get out. And there's a few things to note there, and we'll actually come into some of that in this story, and I'll unpack it as we get there. But part of the reason is when people didn't listen to Jesus and they went around telling everybody what Jesus had done, it made the crowds come in bigger numbers. Everybody wanted to see and be a part of and even just to witness the power of Jesus and what Jesus was doing in people's lives. So they start showing up in droves to be blessed and to take part in. You know, it's kind of like when a team is winning all the time and people just want to see it and be a part of it. Have you ever noticed, I'm a Northeast Ohio native, when the Cleveland Cavaliers come to town, I know it the last couple years because all my friends with season tickets reach out to me and say, hey Matt, I know you're a Cavs fan. Do you want to go watch that sorry team? Nobody cares. But see, when LeBron was on the team and they were winning a lot, nobody was offering me free tickets to go to the Pacers-Cavs games. See, when something big is going on, everybody wants to look and see. And that's why Jesus was saying, don't go tell everybody. It actually made his ministry more difficult because instead of being able to reach and find the people that he was trying to reach and find, the crowds were coming around him, swelling around him and making it difficult for him to do the ministry that God was calling him to do. He ends up going further and further and further outside of town over and over and over again. And we see him on the seashore and out in the kind of arid places and wildernesses. And he's meeting with large crowds out there because because so many people want to be part of the cool experience. Well, when he shows up on this side of the lake, a guy named Jairus, he's a leader of the local synagogue. And to help kind of break that down, there was the temple, but then there were these local synagogues for people to meet in and kind of do their weekly worship experiences with God, to follow the law and practice it. But then they would make the trek to the temple and follow that as well. And the local synagogues would have these rules that God had established throughout the Old Testament for things that people had to do and things that people couldn't do. And if you don't really understand the Old Testament much, I don't have time to unpack it right now. But there were all these ceremonial laws about cleanliness and uncleanliness. They're going to be relevant to today's text. One of the leaders of the local synagogue, a guy named Jairus, comes to Jesus. Now, I don't 100% know what's going on in his mind and his heart, but I know my story. I told you last week, if you were watching with us online, about a season when my wife and I couldn't get pregnant. And we kept asking God and asking God and asking God, and we weren't getting pregnant. We finally got pregnant and we didn't know it, but it turns out my wife had what's called an ectopic pregnancy. That means the baby gets caught in the fallopian tube and we had to take her into emergency surgery. She ended up losing her fallopian tube and the baby, there's no way for the baby to live and the baby was already dead. So now we're doing emergency surgery to save my wife's life, but we already lost our baby. When my wife was recovering at home, her mom and dad, great people, showed up at our house to help cook and to clean. And that gave me a lot of free time as my last church just said, stay at home and love on your wife. Well, my wife was sleeping and recovering and her parents were taking care of almost all the other duties of the house and we had no children and I wasn't working. So I went to my garage and I just built a lot. And I had to have it out with God in that time. And I had to work on some things with God. I I had to let God know that I was displeased with the choices that he was making in my life. Now, the reason that's important is because part of what I said to God in that season, I just said, God, I, I'm working for you. I feel like you owe me one here. Like, what is it that I've done wrong that's keeping you from blessing my family? I don't understand, God, what you need me to do different. And I wonder sometimes if that's how Jairus felt. I'm a synagogue leader. Like, come on, Jesus, help me save my daughter. And oh, by the way, it probably could help you. 
I'll come back to that story in a moment. Let's keep reading. Verse 25. A woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet, instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, though, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. Now, as an undiagnosed ADHD person, I love this storytelling because it's like we're talking about one thing and then all of a sudden we're talking about another thing and in a moment you're gonna see we're gonna go back to talk about the other thing and it's a little bit of back and forth and back and forth. I love it. I'm following the story really good and maybe you are at home as well. But here we are talking with Jairus. Jesus is going with Jairus. Maybe Jairus feels in his heart that Jesus could do something and maybe even Jesus owes him something. I don't know. It, we're not revealed all those things. That's what was in my heart. But now this woman walks up and she's been bleeding for 12 years. Remember how I said we'd talk about the ceremonial laws and all that stuff? See, according to the Old Testament law, blood was one of those things that could make you unclean. Most of the bodily fluids could make you unclean. And there were a series of activities of things you had to do to become clean in order to worship God. Now, the reason that's important is because she'd been bleeding nonstop for 12 years meant that she could not go to the synagogue, the very place where Jairus worked. She could not go and meet with God. And it's hard for us to put this in context but imagine a day when the church was the center of society. And the reason I say church is maybe 100 years ago, 200 years ago, that was true in America. It's not so much true today. People tend to have their own lives and their own schedules and their own things going on. And if we have time and if it fits into our life, we'll go and visit God. But that wasn't how it was in the first century. God was the center of everything for a Jewish Israelite person in the first century. And everything was based around the synagogue. So your relationships, your friendships, your family, your connections, your social schedule, everything came out of the synagogue. And because this woman was was unclean, she couldn't go to the synagogue. So she couldn't deal with her sin. She couldn't get right with God. She couldn't do anything in connecting with other people. She was, for all effectual purposes, quarantined. And that quarantining would have created profound isolation and anxiety, which is why we're told she started visiting doctors, trying to get healed, but none of them could heal her, and they only made the problem worse. We don't know exactly what kind of bleeding she had. Most scholars believe it was some form of a uterine bleeding. Now, imagine this. Nobody wants you over to their house. Nobody wants you to sit on their chairs. I don't even know if they had couches then. Nobody wants you to sit on their couches. Nobody wants you around their floor or their tables. When they would eat meals, there was usually some sort of form of, of table closer to the ground. And they usually had pillows that would prop them up and they would lean on their side with one arm and eat with the other arm. Nobody wants you around there. They don't want the blood there present at the meal. And she's bleeding nonstop for 12 years. The pain has gotten worse. And it says she exhausted all of her resources. She's out of money. She's got nothing left. These situations seem pretty desperate. I'm guessing Jairus is anxious. His, we'll find out, we learn from the other gospels in Luke and Matthew, that his 12-year-old daughter, his 12-year-old daughter is dying. And Jesus is dealing now with this situation. 
But she touches Jesus and she gets healed like that. She's better. And she knows it. She feels it in her body. Look at verse 30. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding around against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, who touched me? I think the disciples are um, not being uh, so demanding or bossy or sarcastic. I think they're puzzling. I think they're questioning. Wait a minute, Jesus, everybody's touching you. You've seen this massive crowd. They're following you everywhere. I mean, look, Jesus, everybody's bumping up against you. How, how can you know someone's touching you? But Jesus knew because power went out from him. This is the first time, if I'm not mistaken, that Mark uses the word power in his book. The word for power here is the word dunamis. It's where we get our word dynamite. Now, I wanna be careful. We don't translate ancient Greek words from English words. But when we get our word from an ancient word, it gives you a little bit of understanding of what we're talking about. This concept of the explosive power of God wrapped up in Jesus. So much so, when this woman is able to push her way to the crowd and touch his cloak, she gets healed and he feels it go out. Meaning, there's something different about her touch. There's something different. Everybody else wants to be a part of the show. She wants to be a part of Jesus. And look, I'm telling you today, when you aren't sure where God is, and you aren't sure what he's gonna do next because you can't see it, right there is all the difference in the world. Not just wanting to be caught up in something cool, but wanting a true relationship with God. Look what happens next. Verse 32 but Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. I imagine the whole truth means she had to expose the story. I mean, it's a small town. Everybody knew. I mean, she'd seen every single medical professional. I'm sure they have all told their friends and family members. We didn't quite have the HIPAA laws that we have today back then. Not only that, but her family and friends. I mean, everybody knew. She's the woman you don't want over to her house because she'll bleed on your stuff and then you'll be unclean and you won't be able to go to the synagogue and then you'll have to figure out how to clean it and deal with it. And ew, nobody wants to be a part of that. But Jesus has her tell the story in front of everybody and her story isn't just, I was sick. Her story was, I was sick of bleeding and now I'm healed. And see, that's dramatically different than the other times Jesus is healing people and he says, don't tell anybody. He's saying to them, I want you to hear what just happened to her. Notice in verse 34, he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. This word here for daughter, it's most often used to refer to somebody who's a child of God. Jesus picks a term of endearment, of love. And he says, daughter, child of God, precious one, your faith healed you. Be freed from your suffering. But I'm guessing that all of this is causing a bit of anxiety in Jairus. 
Remember, Jesus and Jairus are on their way to take care of Jairus' 12-year-old daughter. She's sick. And that's when it happens in verse 32, sorry, verse 35. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Now, this is important. I think sometimes we think because of our medical breakthroughs today that we understand no things that back then they just had no idea about. And while that is true, let me just tell you, we have been blown away by some of the things we have found in archaeological digs, some of the things we've discovered about the ancient world and some of the medical breakthroughs that they had then. Now, clearly, they don't have all the kinds of things we have today. But one thing they definitely had nailed down, they definitely knew how to know when someone was dead or alive. This is really not up for debate whether or not they really believed she was dead or not. These Friends, servants, whatever they were who came to Jairus, they would not have been saying this without being absolutely convinced that she was dead. And now they're saying to Jairus, you can imagine this conversation happened. Jesus is watching it. They go right up to Jairus, not to Jesus. They don't really know Jesus. And they just say, Jairus, it's too late. You didn't make it in time. I wonder if Jairus gets agitated. I wonder if in Jairus' spirit, was he afraid, concerned? What was he feeling? Did he feel indignation towards this other woman? If maybe she hadn't done what she did, maybe we could have made it in time. But Jesus looks at him. Verse 36, overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid. Just believe. Don't be afraid. Just believe. Listen, I know if you're sitting at home right now, this brings up a lot of questions, some of which we'll be able to deal with today. But a lot of people are asking a lot of questions about what's going on in our community and what does it mean. Perhaps the one thing I need to encourage you with is don't be afraid, just believe. We'll build on that in a moment, but let that one sink into your heart. Let's go to verse 37. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. Why? The 12-year-old girl had died. That's what you do when people die, especially young people dying tragically. So he went in and he said to them, why is all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. And they laughed at him. See, that's critical to understanding what he does next. They laughed at him. We're not stupid, Jesus. We know what a dead person looks like, feels like, sounds like. We can see the signs of life and death. This is not hard for us. This is confusing for us. Maybe ancient times, we're not stupid. Jesus. Now, here's the thing. They're mocking Jesus. And this is a test moment for Jairus. This is a test moment. And it may also be today a test moment for you. Will you believe that God is at work even when you can't see it? Let's ask this question for a second and go down this road. Why did Jesus say the little girl was only asleep? That seems really weird. 
And some have tried to say, well, that's because people didn't know and she wasn't really dead and they were just bad at medicine back then and they just didn't have a clue and they were wrong and she's just gonna go wake her up. He's gonna take away the fever and that's not it at all. In fact, the concept of being asleep is built on this later. We see this in New Testament writings as we start to talk about those who have died in faith or died in the Lord. For instance, let me just show you one example of this. First Corinthians chapter 15, a guy named Paul, one of the early church leaders, he says this in verse 50. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we'll all be changed. Now, without trying to go to a big doctrinal understanding of this, let me just give you some handles on this, because the understanding of Christians, both since Jesus all the way till today is simply this. Death is not the end of the road. In fact, if anything, it's the beginning of a road. What Paul is saying here is, look, I want you to know you can't take this body into eternity with God. This body has to die. The perishable cannot inherit the imperishable. This body must die. Now, even if you're alive from the day that Jesus returns, what will happen is in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the perishable will be changed into the imperishable. You can go read 1 Corinthians 15 for yourself and hear all that Paul has to say on that. His point is we will not all sleep. In other words, not all of us will die. Some of us will still be alive when Jesus returns the second time, but we will all be changed. Now that's important because what that means is when we die, it is not an eternal separation from life for those who are in Jesus Christ. It could be an eternal separation from life if you don't know Jesus Christ. This isn't really up for debate in the New Testament, guys. Listen, if you're watching at home and you don't have a relationship with God through Jesus, but you think you're a good person, you think you're nice enough or kind enough, maybe you think you've done enough karma kind of things that God owes you one even. See, what I had to come to grips with in my garage that day is I had to come to grips with the fact that God was good even when he didn't do everything I wanted him to do or how I wanted him to do it. For those of you that know my story, I wish I had time to tell you all three, but I have three miracle sons. Every single one of them has a miracle story attached to it, a way that God blessed us beyond what I ever could have imagined. My third one in particular, he was born on the very side where my wife doesn't have a fallopian tube. Now, I'm no medical expert. Maybe somebody out there could explain it to me. But what I have been told by the medical world is we can't explain it. We only know that it happens from time to time. See, sometimes God answers prayers. He just doesn't always answer them in the way that we ask or the time that we ask because he's up to something. And faith says, I will trust him even when I don't know what it is. I will trust that he's doing something good. So the reason that Jesus says this little girl is just asleep is because he wants everybody to understand he has power over death. Now that will become clearer down the road, which we'll celebrate next Sunday on Easter. It'll become clearer when he himself dies and by the power of the Holy Spirit raises from the dead. 
It will be a final proclamation for anybody who have faith in Jesus that you too, though you will die, yet will you live. But apart from Jesus, death has much more meaning. Take a look at what happens next. Mark chapter five, verse 40. After he put them all out, he kicked everybody out who didn't have faith. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him, and he went in where the child was. He took her by the hand, and he said to her, Talitha Koum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. And he gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this. And he told them to give her something to eat. Now, the word here, talitha, koum, the talitha, Timothy Keller hypothesizes that perhaps the best way to translate this would be something like, little girl, or hey, honey, hey, honey, it's time to get up. And what I love about this, not only does he call the bleeding woman daughter, but he calls a little, this little girl, hey, honey, hey, sweetie, it's time to get up. Now she's been dead and her spirit rushes back to her and she comes alive and he tells her, eat something. And part of the reason he does is probably because she's hungry. I mean, she's been sick. Who knows? She hasn't eaten for days, whatever it is. Oh, she just died. Now her spirit's back with her. But part of it is to give testimony to the fact that she's alive. She's not just, say, some spirit walking around. She's alive in the flesh. Flesh can eat. And we see this after the resurrection. Jesus gathers the disciples together and they eat some fish on the side of a seashore in John chapter 21. And partly because he wants them to understand, I am alive in the flesh. I am here in the flesh. This is real. See, what Jesus is saying in his actions here is if I have you by the hand, then death itself is nothing but sleep. And I think some of you at home need to know that right now. I don't know where the next 30 or 60 or 90 days are gonna go in the world. I've seen models from tens of thousands to hundreds of thousands to possibly millions if things don't change. Could die from the coronavirus. And you need to know, you need to know and Jesus, when Jesus has you by the hand, death is nothing but sleep to him. And he has both the power to do something about it now and forever. I'm going to come back to that. Let me ask this question real quick. Why did Jesus make the woman confess publicly? Remember, and even in this story, he tells them, don't tell anybody what's happened here. He does this over and over and over again with lepers and blind people. And he heals them and says, don't tell anybody, don't tell anybody. But with the woman, he specifically says to her, I want you to name yourself. And I think there's two major reasons that you need to know today. Reason number one, after 12 years of physical pain, social isolation, and a broken heart and body. Jesus was restoring her. He was validating her to the crowd. So these are her family, her friends, her community, even though some of them maybe didn't know her real well. And he's saying to all of them, she 
is okay. Not only is she okay, she's clean. Not only is she clean, she's an example of faith. Jesus is holding her up as an example for everybody else to follow. Remember, when they get to the house, people still are struggling to believe it. Jesus just keeps saying to Jairus, just believe, just trust me. Even when other people mock you, even when other people think you're crazy, just hang on to your faith. And this woman is an example of faith. Be like her. But then there's the other reason. And the other reason is because she had a superstitious relationship with God. And I think some of you might too. What I mean by that is this. She had this transactional idea. If I can just touch his cloak, then I'll be healed and I can disappear. In other words, it's transactional. I'll do this, he'll have to do that, and I'll be fine. And Jesus wants to push her beyond the transactional relationship. Jesus wants to push her to the point of faith itself. And see, that is so powerful because I know some of you watching have a transactional relationship with God and you're already in your mind and in your heart trying to figure out what string you can pull to make God do whatever it is that he could do to help you, to save your family, to help your sick friend or family member, to protect your kids from getting the virus or whatever it is. Don't let the company fall apart. Don't let me lose the job. And if I could just do the right things, okay, God, I'll stop sinning. I'll stop doing these things. I'll confess whatever. I'll go to church. I'll watch online. And then if I pull these strings, God will have to do these things. And what God says to the woman, and this is what you need to hear today. I'm not a transactional God. You can't play me. You can't manipulate me. You can't control me. You can't direct me. Oh, but you can trust me. Even when you can't see what I'm doing. See, that's huge. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, Peter says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. This text is a very confusing text if you were to go look up 2 Peter 3. But just before this, Peter talks about I think he's answering an honest question. If Jesus is gonna return one day and we're all gonna be transformed, the perishable for the imperishable, we're all gonna be made like Christ and twinkling of an eye, where is he? I mean, here we are 2,000 years, what's taking so long? And in, in verse eight, Peter says, look to the Lord, a day is like a 1,000 years, a 1,000 years like a day. You and all, you and I, we all need a new understanding of patience. I mean, I don't know about you, I need a new understanding of patience. I mean, we've been at this now for three weeks. It looks like a minimum of another 30 days and who knows beyond that, right? The word patience in this text is the most common word for patience throughout the New Testament. It's the word makrothumeo, makrothumeo. I'm probably butchering that. But it means this, to persevere while suffering a long time. This is the word used throughout the Bible for patience. So when we're told in Galatians that one of the fruits of the Spirit is patience, what it means is long-suffering. To suffer for a long time and yet to hang on to the fact that God is still good even in the midst of the suffering. Now in 2 Peter 3, 9, Peter's actually saying God is suffering a long time. How is that? And the answer is this. 
He's suffering a long time waiting for you to come to him. See, every time we sin against each other and every time we disobey him and every time we hurt each other, that's why Jesus died. That's why he suffered on the cross. That's why he had nails in his hands and his feet and a crown of thorns on his head. That's why he was beat and spit on and mocked. He did it, long-suffering, waiting for you to come to him so that he could rescue you. And he still wants that. That's why next week, and actually throughout this week, we're gonna have a lot of activities celebrating the Easter week. You could find those at our website at kingswaychurch.org. We're just gonna have different videos and opportunities for you to engage with the crucifixion story, but next Sunday, we're gonna celebrate that Jesus didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead to give life to all who want it. Listen, we know there are thousands of people watching this video who don't normally come to Kingsway on a Sunday morning. And I don't want you to miss this opportunity. If you are ready to have a relationship with God, we want to talk to you about how to do that. You can text CONNECT to 317-565-4911. And we will help you get a real, authentic relationship with God. Now, what we wanna do is enter into a time of communion. If you haven't already prepared, I'll spend a few moments setting it up. That'll give you some time to run and grab some sort of bread or cracker and preferably some sort of juice. A red juice would be the best thing. Whatever you've got, the point is to celebrate what Jesus did. Now, this coming Thursday is a big deal because it's the night that we would celebrate the Last Supper. And at the Last Supper, Jesus was sitting around eating the Passover meal. For those of you who don't know what that means, there's no great way to explain it in just a few minutes except for to say, if you go back to the Exodus story, in that story, God was taking the Israelites out of slavery and leading them into the promised land. Now, what we know is Jesus says that Exodus pointed us to Jesus himself. That's what he's doing in the Last Supper. He's taking the very meal itself and saying, you've been celebrating this exodus into the promised land. I am the exodus. I am the promised land. I have come to set you free. I have come to give you life that is really life. So when you eat this bread, it represents my body, which is given for you. Go ahead now and take that bread I'll say a prayer. And while I'm praying, feel free to mute me and pray your own prayer. I'll pause when I eat this and just give you a moment. If you want to continue on talking with God, go ahead. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for being a good God. That even when we don't know what you're doing or where it's going, we can trust you. And Jesus, we just want to say thank you. Thank you for giving up your body. We know in the Old Testament, they, in the Exodus story, they slaughtered a lamb. And then they took that blood and put it over the doorpost. And their life was spared. And that lamb whose body was given up was to point us to you and your body being given up for us. So God, we thank you. We thank you that we could trust you that even if we take our last breath, we are only falling asleep. Go ahead and 
either spend some moments with God or take the bread if you're ready. Passover Seder. Jesus then took the cup that represented the blood of the lamb that was put over the doorway that all the Israelites put over the doorway. If you read the Exodus story, that night a messenger of the Lord came through and the firstborn who didn't have the blood over the doorway died. Terrible crying and tragedy, but not for the people of God. Jesus took the cup and he said, this is now my blood. So while it was a lamb in the Old Testament, the sacrificial blood that protected them from death, Jesus said, this is my blood poured out for you. So when we gather every Sunday and we take the juice and we drink it, we're remembering that our life will go on forever in Jesus Christ. Go ahead and take the juice drink it. I'll say a prayer. If you need some time to talk to God, feel free. Father, thank you for giving us the perfect, spotless lamb, Jesus Christ. Lord, we know that was a great sacrifice for you. We also know, God, that allowing Jesus to come and die and pour out his blood to make us right with you means that in our pain and in our suffering and when our loved ones die, you are the perfect person to minister to us. You know exactly what it feels like to lose a loved one to death, which, Father, sets you high above every other God out there who claims to be real. We know they're not real, but we know you are, and you understand our pain, and you understand our suffering, and we thank you for your patience with us. God, teach us to be patient. Help us be patient when we're struggling to be patient. We take this and we drink it and celebrate now your love for us. In Jesus' name, drink. As we conclude the message today, we wanna go into a time of worship. We just want to celebrate that God is with us and that for those who are in Christ Jesus, this world is not the end. Please, please reach out and get a relationship with Jesus honestly before it's too late. God bless you and we'll see you next week.